As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, it's Wendy. And it's Jess. And you're listening to the Food Heaven Podcast, your online resource for delicious and nutritious living. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Food Heaven Podcast. Today we have a really special guest. We have Emily Fonsbeck, who's a registered dietitian. She has her own private practice in Logan, Utah, working with both local and virtual clients. She specializes in treating eating disorders, disordered eating, body image concerns, and digestive issues. She's passionate about helping individuals create a peaceful relationship with food in their body, building confidence in their own natural ability to know how to eat. Yeah, and I first heard about Emily because she just kept coming up in a bunch of different podcast interviews that I was listening to. <laughs> uh, I love the interview with Christy Harrison on the Food Psych podcast. And in that interview, Emily recommended a book, which I actually bought and have since been referring to my patients. It's called The Happiness Trap, which is about, oh, yeah. yeah, it's about how um, the pursuit of happiness can make us sad and like what to do instead. And one of the cool things about Emily as well is that she has a family and she, you know, posts a lot about her family and just talking about intuitive eating as a family with kids. And especially, you know, there's a lot of folks who hit us up saying they have kids who are picky eaters and I'm not sure what to do. And so I just thought it would be a really great opportunity to pick your brain on this specific topic. So welcome to the podcast, Emily. Oh, yes. Such a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm glad you asked me on. Yay. So excited to have you. So I know that you specialize in eating disorders and disordered eating, but I remember you saying on the podcast with Christy Harrison that you didn't always take this kind of health at every size intuitive eating approach and that you kind of switched to that approach later on in your career. And you even mentioned that you kind of even, you know, gave a apology, like a public apology to some of your clients where you may have focused more on weight loss. We have done something similar as well. So can you talk about how you have gotten involved into this specific space and kind of your journey? Yes. Yes, I actually did start my career teaching nutrition classes at a weight loss resort. So I did exactly, you know, what we'd been taught in school, which was to assess health using BMI and then encourage calorie and food restriction for those, you know, labeled, quote unquote, overweight or obese. But I never really saw it doing any good. You know, over time, I just started to realize individuals didn't necessarily become healthier. They just became smaller for a time and then more ashamed and obsessed with food. Around this time, I also started getting interested in functional nutrition to solve some of my digestive concerns that I was having and then entered a really slippery slope of elimination diets. And, you know, as all of this was happening, I was, I had kind of decided to transition into private practice 
and also came to accept that my physical concerns were due to eating too little and exercising too much, which had actually brought me into a really deep hole of orthorexia, which I, you know, you mentioned food psych. I did talk about that pretty extensively there. And I really started to feel like I was doing more harm than good, taking this weight normative approach and villainizing food. And I was a practicing dietitian at the time, and I was struggling with a severe eating disorder, giving nutrition advice to other people. And I really felt the weight of the possible fear and misinformation that I had been spreading. So a public apology really did feel necessary. And I, I made a personal promise to myself as well to work in a way I felt was ethical practice and to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Because I do think we have a problem, right? Like people everywhere are struggling with food and have concerns about their weight. And what health professionals, our deep included, have been trained to do is address those concerns with food restrictions and weight loss. But I definitely feel like the solution lies in helping people develop more empowered, confident, and healthy relationships with food and find acceptance for their unique body size and shape. So, yeah, that's kind of my journey to where we are now. Yeah, and Justin and I just the other day we were talking about how for a lot of dietitians, what we've experienced is that they get into food, especially dietitians who have this experience with disordered eating, they get into food because in a way they want to learn more about how to control their food choices from a place of restriction. And so I remember when I was in school, a lot of my classmates were struggling with disordered eating. It was super common. So, well, I was going to say, because you mentioned what we were speaking about intuitive eating and as it relates to health at every size. And so we talk about it all the time, but I think it's worth talking about again for people who aren't quite sure what that actually means or how it differs from the traditional approach to nutrition. So can you talk to us a little bit about intuitive eating and maybe what some misconceptions are about intuitive eating? Sure. Yeah. So intuitive eating, I would describe as a food model that's comprised of 10 principles. And I think it's worth mentioning that it isn't just theory. The authors, Evelyn Tribley and Elise Rush, who are registered dietitians themselves, and other researchers have done fairly extensive research that validate positive health com- outcomes like improvements in metabolic profiles like blood pressure, blood sugar, blood cholesterol levels, improved mood, less disordered eating for sure, and, and actually more positive body image even without weight loss. Um, I think the biggest contrast to the traditional approach is that it's self-directed rather than working with outside rules around food. So obviously then it's dependent on this idea that we can trust our bodies to communicate their needs to us so we can work with our body to support our, and our health and well-being through food, where I feel like a traditional approach definitely takes this idea that, you know, you kind of need to micromanage your food intake. You need to micromanage your body. And I, I think that I think it's a little bit more distrustful of the body and of someone's ability to feed themselves without rules. And actually, I think that that ties in really well to that question about the biggest misconception is that intuiting ignores nutrition and health, which is definitely not the case. I don't think I've ever worked with anyone who hasn't had to factor in some sort of health concern or chronic illness to their intuitive eating journey. Really, intuitive eating is all about taking care of your body with its specific concerns and issues. And really, if intuitive eating was reserved for people with perfect health, none of us could use it, right? Because the reality is, is that we, all our bodies are unique and may need unique, you know, interventions nutritionally. And intuitive eating can absolutely factor those in. 
And it's it, because it's really much more than just listening to hunger and fullness, although that's important. It's really just an opportunity to, to let your head and your body work together. You know, maybe some of the knowledge you have about nutrition can also be filtered through what your body's communicating to you. So, you know, helping someone kind of marry the two, right? Like have the brain and the body work together more so than I think a traditional approach really just, I think too often ignores feedback from the body and, you know, just our own natural innate ability, instinctual ability to know how to feed ourselves. Oh, I love your summary. I feel like that's so true in terms of people think looking at the outside world for validation and information in terms of what they should eat, but like not even checking in with themselves like whatsoever. So I Mm -hmm. love that you, yeah, you talked about that kind of feedback loop. Now, our platform focuses mostly on adults. We both don't have any kids, but we get hit up so much (laughs) by moms who have picky eaters and they're like, they don't know what to do. They're like, can you please do an episode on this? I need help. And for me personally, I used to work in a pediatric clinic for a couple years. Mm -hmm. And what I observed, and probably not to the same extent of some of the providers, but even contributed to a little bit, felt like the approach was a little bit shameful when it came to kids who were at a higher weight, for example. So let's just say, and I wouldn't do this, but I would see even parents do this or providers encourage this. So let's say one kid was at a quote unquote normal weight in the family and then another one was at a higher weight. There may be like some rules and restrictions around what the kid at the higher weight is eating and the the kid at the normal weight doesn't have those rules. And I just feel like that has to mess kids up. Like, do you have any observations or just, yeah, any thoughts on approaching families and kids with this kind of weight normative approach and how, you know, that doesn't necessarily work and isn't helpful long-term? Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely validate that concern. Like that very much so is a problem. I mean, it really ignores the fact that we all come in different shapes and sizes and size doesn't determine how much and what we need to eat. So it's unfortunate that body trust and fear of food starts at such a young age. I mean, if a child's body doesn't meet what is considered the cultural ideal, it's easy to send them the message that their body is wrong. And then they have to then struggle and be different, right? Eat differently. You know, someone else can eat freely in terms of what their body's communicating to them, but they can't because they don't meet this cultural ideal. And so they their body can't be trusted. Whereas, you know, if, if they happen to have been born into a smaller body, then they could. So I just, I feel like it, it definitely, it absolutely can mess kids up. And I, I mean, I work with adults primarily as well. And I will say that most of the issues didn't have to be issues if they grew up in more food and body positive families, like their, their, their like childhood situations and experiences absolutely influence these very disordered adult behaviors. So instead, can we empower our kids to take care of their bodies well, no matter their size? I mean, we don't have to ignore health here. I just don't think we need to make it about size, right? So unfortunately, actually discussing weight with kids is only correlated with weight cycling and adulthood and disordered eating. And the American Academy of Pediatrics has actually come out and recommended physicians and parents to not discuss weight with their kids because of the very clear research we have 
on how harmful that is to, to the child's relationship with food and what we see in terms of patterns over time with their weight, they actually only are more likely to gain more weight than actually have that be helpful in terms of what the parents are trying to do, right? Which is normalize, quote unquote, their weight gain. So I want to take a little bit of a break to talk about CBD. So Wendy, have you tried CBD before? I have. I started using it about a year ago and I really enjoyed it. Nice. Can you tell me some of the benefits that you've noticed with using it? Yeah. Well, I think generally just like a sense of calmness. Ooh, I love it. I know there has been a lot of info out there about CBD. We've even had a podcast episode about it. And now we have some really exciting news. Our friends at Manitoba Harvest, who are a podcast sponsor, they actually make their own version of CBD. And it's available in four formats, including CBD oil drops, CBD spray, CBD soft gels, and CBD protein powder. They don't only sell CBD, they also sell a variety of hemp products, including hemp hearts, hemp granola, hemp protein powder, and hemp wellness bars for those who want a powerful dose of plant protein. So if you are interested in checking out their CBD or any of their products, we actually have a very special code for Food Heaven podcast listeners. You get 50% off and free shipping on your first order of Manitoba Harvest hemp extract products using the promo code food heaven. So to cash in on that special offer, you want to head on over to shop.manitobaharvest.com. That's shop.manitoba, M-A-N-I-T-O-B-A, H-A-R-V-E-S-T dot com. But you want to act fast because this special offer is only valid until August 31st. Okay, guys, so head on over to the website, get your 50% off, get your free shipping, try the products, send us a DM and let us know what you think. All right, back to the episode. Yeah. And for children who have, let's say, prediabetes or they have elevated lipids, whether they would be considered overweight or not, what are some ways that parents can navigate that without like just completely shaming them or making them feel bad? Because at, at the clinic that I was working at, that was something that was huge. I mean, especially for children that did have larger bodies. It was just like, you can't eat this, you can't eat that because you, like you're essentially you're going to die. And it was just terrible, the approach that a lot of practitioners were taking. And the parents would shadow that approach, thinking that it would be helpful for their children. And I mean, we all know it's just like not effective. And, you know, kids, they don't listen to that. They they completely shut down. Then so they're going to sneak food. And then, yeah. like you said, it becomes an issue older in life. Yeah. So how, what are some ways to navigate that as, as a parent when you have a child that has um, that has different chronic conditions? Yeah. Well, so maybe, you know, for parents listening, I think that this might be helpful to think about. So to kind of put maybe some parents at ease, like weight is correlated with disease risk. But as we know, correlation isn't causation. And when we control for lifestyle factors like physical activity, nutrition, sleep, stress, and access to access to all those things, like access to a place to play or access to healthy food, the actual risk dramatically decreases or disappears. So weight loss may be a side effect of adopting healthy behaviors, but when weight loss does, doesn't happen, 
or if weight loss does happen, it gets all the credit instead of the change in behaviors. And that's unfortunate because we're not reinforcing the things that had the most impact. And also because if weight loss isn't a side effect, then those healthy behaviors really get forgotten, right? Well, I didn't lose weight, so that was all for nothing. But I would just say that healthy behaviors are always going to trump weight loss every time. And I think that we absolutely as parents can really empower our kids to think that way. Like, how am I taking care of my body? What is my body communicating to me? And so as parents, I think one of the best things that we can do is to let our, let our kids trust their body. So even if they're at risk for certain health conditions, what we want to do is say, okay, well, what could we do to help you with this health condition? Could we make some changes as a family? You know, not just the child as we just discussed, but you know, as the whole family. Can us as the whole family make changes to what we're eating? Can we, can we look at food patterns that maybe are a bit more nutritious? Can we be physically active as a family versus like sedentary parents encouraging kids to go exercise, right? That gets, that's really hard to hear when you're not really modeling that behavior for them. Let's make sure that there's a lot of things that we can address with our kids that can encourage them to be healthy and to adopt healthy behaviors that are sustainable rather than focusing on the weight as the problem. Because I think it's a scapegoat. I think change is hard, right? Like making changes is hard. But I think the question here is, are we engaged in meaningful change rather than just desperate to lose weight to solve the problem? And sometimes I think us as parents can absolutely put, put that fear or that desperation on our kids. When I think instead the goal here is to empower them to take care of their bodies. And so maybe that even comes down to asking questions that encourage them to get in their body. Like, how is your body feeling? How does your you know, tummy feel after you eat that or, or whatever it is, but helping them kind of explore what that, what the feedback their body is giving them. I love that. I want to touch a little bit on kind of the cultural component of intuitive eating. I gave a presentation the other day about, well, actually a few months ago about intuitive eating during the holidays. And there was somebody who stood up like after the presentation because we did a Q&A and they wanted to know how can they apply that to some of the the thing, the nuances that may happen within their particular culture. So in this example, the patient was saying like he would love to be able to practice intuitive eating over the holidays and listen to his body. However, his grandmother would take offense to him not finishing the plate. And he was really like, I don't know if this will work for me. I don't know what to do in those situations. So have you ever encountered this? And do you have any tips? Like another example is I visited Wendy's family in DR like a few, I don't know, like five, no, 10 years ago for a month. And I felt like I was eating a lot of food, <laughs> like the meal, like we would have one big meal. And I remember them being like, what are you doing? You're not eating enough. Like, what's going on? You're, are you hungry? Like, are you starving yourself? And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so full. So how do you, do you have any experience with like navigating that aspect of intuitive eating? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think there's a lot of layers to this, maybe like two or three things to think about. First is intuitive eating is meant to be flexible. So it's not the hunger fullness diet, which it can definitely turn into, right? Like I only eat when I'm hungry, I only suck when I'm full. Intuitive eating absolutely is meant to connect you with those innate signals to help guide food choices more consistently. But 
it really is just about what's happening most consistently. Sometimes, because that's normal, all of us eat past fullness, or sometimes we get caught up in the day and we get too hungry. Like life still happens and that's okay. Intuitive eating is meant to be a flexible approach that fits into your life in that way. However, I think another thing to possibly consider here is at the same time, our body is our business, right? Like, I think that that is something that is hard in different cultures or different family dynamics, but essentially like our body is our business. We can have boundaries that protect our own autonomy and ability to make choices we feel good about. And having boundaries necessitates really that we release ourselves of how our boundaries make other people feel. So it I don't know that it ever really feels that good to be like, okay, I'll do that because you want me to. Sometimes we do it. Like, okay, for example, I remember one year on my birthday, my in-laws had us over for dinner and had bought a cheesecake. And after dinner, I was not hungry. Like I was like, I'd love to just, you know, skip the cheesecake or take some home or have it later. I didn't really want any right then, but my, my in-laws made such this big deal about how they know I look like cheesecake's my favorite. They made sure they had cheesecake for me. And of course they ate a slice of cheesecake because it was important to them and they're important to me. And again, that's, that's fine. That's intuitive eating. It's flexible enough that sometimes we do do that. But I think that, you know, there's a little nuance here where, yeah, that can sometimes happen, but at the same time, intuitive eating also encourages you to really like honor your body and respect it versus always just chasing what other people feel like you should do, including family members. Yeah, this just happened to me last night where I was like, I don't think I should be having this second drink. And I was kind of pressured into having it. And I'm like, you know what, my stomach is feeling a little crazy. But yeah, it's not a perfect formula. And I agree. It's also like, especially when you're in social settings, you have to have flexibility because you're eating with other people. So that's really important. Yeah. So with children, picky eating, this is a huge topic outside of weight, just like living with picky children and the picky children that I've worked with, they usually gravitate towards carbohydrates where, where they want to eat like only rice or only potatoes or only sweets, or they just have to like isolate food groups completely and just eat them and they can't overlap. I've seen it manifest in so many different ways. And a lot of parents have hit us up about how to navigate that because it's almost like they feel stuck. They've tried so many creative ways to introduce foods to their children and you know it it can get to the point where like children are developing deficiencies and and they're just like under eating to a point that's very concerning so how like what are some tips that you typically give parents to navigate that okay well there's a couple of things first is I actually don't really love the term picky eater Mm. I think kids live up to that label really easily like you label a kid a picky eater and they are gonna live up to that label instead could we describe those kids as still learning still exploring different foods like if we're if I think it's absolutely a matter of how we're talking about the issue in terms of how the kids approach it like oh yeah I am just still learning okay my mom has patience with me and you know whatever you know lack of variety they have. I think that that is the first thing I would recommend. I really don't like the label picky eating. Instead, kids are still learning and they they all learn at different at different rates, right? Like some kids are going to be a little bit more, you know, they're they're going to approach food a little bit more trepidation than other kids that are a little bit more adventurous. Some of that's just personality, right? But I think we can absolutely describe that 
situation in, in more positive ways. The other thing that I would say here is I think it's really important to encourage kids to try new things, but also with a very like neutral approach, like neutral exposures to food. So at dinner, no, it's not like we may not have rice and potatoes every night, right? Those may not be on the menu. Maybe there's something that is somewhat familiar, but they're encouraged, like they're exposed to different foods regularly. But I think the key there is to have neutral exposures to food so that they can get curious, so they're not feeling pressured. And so they're able to like really connect with like, okay, I don't, I don't feel like this is like, I'm going to feel shamed if I don't do this, or I don't feel like I'm going to be in trouble if I don't try it. It's just there. If I want it, I can try it. I think that that is really important because essentially kids do need at least 10 neutral exposures to food to decide if they like it or not. And I don't actually think adults are much different, to be honest, like (laughs) individuals who are trying to, you know, you know, develop new tastes for new things. I think we do need to have those neutral exposures to food over and over and over again to really be able to explore it adequately. The other thing I will say, though, is, you know, some of the situations that you were just describing could be a situation of an actual eating disorder called ARFID, which stands for Avoidant Restrictive I always get this wrong, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, um, intolerance disorder. And there's possible scenarios as to why some kids may have ARFID. And if that is a concern, if it really is to a point where they're developing nutritional deficiencies, then it's definitely time to see a dietitian that specializes in treating eating disorders, particularly ARFID, and maybe therapy as well. Like, for example, really common reason for ARFID, maybe a kid has choked on food before. And so they have some trauma around eating. And so they're very hesitant to try new foods. Or maybe they have a food allergy that, that causes that same type of concern. So some, some sort of traumatic event around food could easily lead to that kind of behavior. And that's not normal. That's not just picky eating. If they're developing like nutritional deficiencies, it probably is a good idea to see a dietitian. I'm so happy that you brought that up because I, yeah. And also the idea of um, not using the term picky eater. I had not even thought about that. And I feel like that's, yeah, that's really helpful to know that that term can be stigmatizing and it probably isn't the most helpful. Okay. So my next question is, and kind of our last like main question for people who want to get started with intuitive eating and mindful eating as a family. So including you know, most of our listeners are women and maybe they have a partner. So with their partners and with their kids, what are three things that the family can kind of start doing today to take steps towards being more of an intuitive eating, mindful eating family? Sure. Yeah. Really good question. You know, what I might mention first is there is a book written by Ellen Satter, the dietitian called Secrets to Feeding a Healthy Family. And that would be a really good resource for parents. It, it, it covers something called the division of responsi- responsibility in feeding kids and helps parents to know like, okay, what are my jobs in feeding my kids? And what are my kids' jobs in eating? And it, it actually totally can help, I think, in a lot of scenarios, make eating time more enjoyable for everyone, parents included. So I would just mention that resource, resource first. But yeah, three things to start with. I would say one... All food is neutral. I think that it's important that kids grow up, honestly, in an environment where there isn't this like dichotomous thinking of like good food versus bad food. 
Of course, we can encourage balanced meals and nutritious food choices overall, like nutritious healthy foods and play foods and how they all balance together. But we're not necessarily shaming food choices as good or bad. And so really to work to create this neutral environment about food. And, and I think that that comes down to like the language that we use when we talk about these foods. So that's the first thing. The second thing is not to make it weight an issue. I actually just really feel strongly that if we all didn't comment on anyone's body, we would all probably feel better about our bodies. And when we feel good about our bodies, we want to take care of them. When we feel bad about our bodies, we don't. And I think that that's important to teach kids from a very young age that they don't have to feel bad about their bodies because they're more likely to want to take care of it. And also not talking bad about your child's body, maybe something you already do, but are you making comments about other people's body or your own body, right? That can absolutely make kids self-conscious or make them believe that that's normal and, you know, necessary to be like body policing, but it's not. And so I think that, you know, we really have this such a unique opportunity as parents to create this next generation of kids who are not overly focused on their body or other people's bodies. And then third, encourage kids to listen to their body's feedback. I, I think that's just a really great skill for, it's called interoceptive awareness. It's actually a thing. <laughs> and obviously that, that encompasses a wide variety of things. So of course, like hunger and fullness levels, but also like, you know, are they feeling stressed? Like, what are their emotions that they're feeling? Do they need to go to sleep? Like all of the body's feedback that it's given us, that it gives us, gives them, is important for them to learn how to listen. And honestly, interoceptive awareness is a skill that is lacking in individuals with disordered eating and dysregulated eating patterns. And so really encouraging kids to get into their bodies. Like, how does that feel? And it's interesting, you know, as I watch my own kids grow up, I just, I just see them become more interested and more curious about what, you know, the feedback that their body's giving them, particularly around food. Like I have a son who's almost 14 and plays tennis, and it's been interesting to watch him become more interested in how to fuel his body before matches and after matches as one example. And I think as we provide this opportunity for them to be curious, they'll naturally get to a place where they want to they want to take care of themselves. They want to listen to their bodies. And I think that parents often are concerned that that won't happen. So they feel like they need to micromanage. But really, parents' responsibility is just to create this environment where kids can be curious about food. They can be curious about their body and be able to learn how to listen. Yeah, Jess and I were just having this mm -hmm. conversation about commenting on bodies. And I think especially culturally, like in, in my culture and Caribbean culture, it's huge where as part of the greeting, it's like, girl, you looking real thick or oh, my God, <laughs> like what's going on? Are you sick? And it's just so normalized. And yeah, it can make people feel like really self-conscious. And I think, you know, a lot of us do it. And we don't even realize that it's mm -hmm. just naturally part of our communication. And it's really important and to be mindful of how we communicate to people about their body or about our own body. Mm -hmm. So, yes, absolutely. Well, Emily, this has been really great. Can you, I know you shared some resources. Do you have any other like really great resources for families, for children, for parents um, as it relates to intuitive eating? Yeah, so that, that book I mentioned is going to be a great one. And I would say if you have not read Intuitive Eating, that's definitely a really important resource because 
I would say as parents, the best thing we can do for our kids is to have a healthy relationship with food and our own bodies. Because we can talk to them all day about what that might look like, but if they're not seeing it modeled, it's not going to really matter. So I, you know, any parent out there that's listening to this and has concerns about their kids, I think what I would just want to really reinforce is the work that you're doing on yourself, your own intuitive eating journey, your own process of making peace with food and, you know, listening to your body is absolutely going to have a ripple effect for generations to come, really. Like that's how we make a difference is like working on ourselves. And of course, there's specific things as we've talked today about what they can, what you can do as a parent for your kids. But I really just want to reinforce that idea that the most important work you'll do is, is for yourself. That's so powerful because I feel like I have so many folks I work with or even friends or family where they have kids and they want to you know, be that change that they want to see and they don't want their kids to have like this negative relationship with their bodies and with food, but they're kind of stuck and not always realizing, you know, what are the next steps to like help foster that healthy relationship. And I think just what you're saying is working on yourself is going to be the most powerful thing that you can ever do. So can you, for people who want to learn more about you and even maybe work with you, how can our listeners learn more about your work um, and find you online? Yeah, I'm at emilyfonsbeck.com. And I blog there on that website. And then also at emilyfonsbeck underscore RD on social media. And I do share quite a bit about feeding kids. So I'd love to connect with anyone interested there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. We learned a lot, seriously. And I'm hoping that people, yeah, will also love this episode. I think they'll love this episode. So thank you again. And we'll catch you next time, Emily. All right. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. All right. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Food Heaven podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, pause your life right now. Go on iTunes. Leave us a review. This really, really helps our podcast grow and reach more people. So get on it right now. Listen up to this listener review. I swear these two young ladies are BFFs in my head. Oh, <laughs> they give the best authentic advice and have tremendously eased my anxiety around nutrition, self-care, and just living a healthy lifestyle. I'm so grateful for their expertise. Oh, we're grateful for you, girl, yeah, whoever thank, you are. Thank you so much for that heartfelt review. And if you want to connect with us online, we are at Food Heaven Show on Instagram and Twitter. And we are at Food Heaven Made Easy on Facebook. Our podcast is released every Wednesday. And in each episode, we cover tips and tricks for making lifelong sustainable living changes to help you live a healthier, more balanced life. We also interview leading experts in the fields of health and nutrition to pick their brains on how you can cultivate that healthy life that you love. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.